0: So good, can we give it up for Aaron Holy cow? So wonderful, greatly appreciate her telling her story or at least parts of it with us this morning. And part of what I love about Erin's story in particular is that it highlights the importance of relationships and friendships. How many of you guys know that life is usually at its best when you are surrounded by your best friends, right? Absolutely, things are always better when your besties, your BFFs are by your side. I'm telling you, life is just more fun when you have fun people to share it with. Probably your best memories involve your best friends. The things that you've enjoyed most, the trips you've taken, the things you've experienced, almost always you're surrounded by people that you love spending time with. And in fact, if you happen to have some favorite memories of your life in which your best friends were not there, there's probably a little part of you that was like, oh, I wish they could have been there to experience that because it's just that much better when we have people we love. Am I right? You guys are with me, right? Yeah, absolutely. We all need friends who are gonna cheer for us whenever we win, whenever life goes well, when good things come our way, they're gonna celebrate and they're not gonna be jealous secretly inside. They are going to love and cheer for us because good things are coming our way. We also need people that are gonna be there to weep with us in hard days. When Erin shares how she's going through a tough situation and it's her friendships that are allowing her to have the strength to carry on, that is precisely what we all need. We all need a friend that we can call up at a moment's notice and say, hey, can you come help me hide this body, please? And they show up with a shovel, no questions asked. You need those sorts of friendships. And I, you know, I'll just tell you guys, I'll let you in on a little secret. That group of lady friends that Erin talked about in her video, I get the sense that they've hidden some bodies in their day, okay? (laughs) They all talked to me after the first service and they were like, how did you know? (laughs) It's obvious, you guys. We need these sorts of positive, life-giving relationships in our life. Aaron shared with you how those sorts of friendships have absolutely transformed the path that her life was on. Let me go a step further and I'll put it to you this way. Um, this is something that really might, you know, bake your noodle for a sec. When God wanted to get Aaron's attention, when God said it's time for her to come home, When God said, I want to show her how good a living relationship with me and my church is, God didn't send her a Bible. It's not like her friend or her next door neighbor maybe was on Amazon and they were like, I need a Bible. And UPS screwed it up and actually delivered it to her door and she picked it up. She's like, whoa, a Bible. This must be a sign from God. No, that's not how it worked. When God wanted to call Aaron's name. When he wanted to begin a new relationship with her, he didn't orchestrate things so that she stumbled across one of my sermons online. She wasn't like, you know, scrolling through Facebook and she's like, oh, this kid isn't half terrible. I'll listen. And then her life was changed. I had nothing to do with it. When God wanted to get Aaron's attention, he didn't use a worship song. He didn't send her a miraculous visit from angels. When God wanted to transform Aaron's life, he gave her friends. Friends. That is so good, you guys, because friendships turn out to be the most powerful tool that God has at his disposal to shape you into the person that you were always supposed to be. You know how amazing, wonderful, and powerful these sorts of relationships can be. Now, Aaron shared with you that she and her fiance, Jordan, are going through a bit of a hard time. She didn't give details, and that's cool. You don't have to tell everybody everything. But she said, hey, we've been going through a hard season. And if you paid attention to the words that she used in her video, they are powerful and eye-opening. I took the time to actually write all these words down so that you didn't have to remember them. Erin shared in her testimony that in the middle of a season that should be described as incredibly difficult, as isolating, as isolating, as unhealthy, as scary, as lonely. In the middle of a situation that should be described using those words, she said she finds herself in life circumstances where she feels a sense of belonging, where she feels encouraged, where she has hope. She says the relationships that God has brought her way are honest and real and loving and helpful those are some good friends, you guys. (laughs) Those are good friends. You heard her say in her video, she credits her friendships, the relationships that she's made right here at Connect with not only her return to the church, but the ability to persevere in the middle of very hard times. I don't know about you guys, but I desperately want friends like that. If you are one of Aaron's friends, you're one of that group of ladies and guys that kind of worked things out and worked on her and eventually wore her down and convinced her to come to church, can I say thank you for being so wonderful? For loving and accepting her, for taking her right where she's at, and also helping her to see what God wanted her to become. My hope and prayer is that every single one of us can follow your example. We can be that kind of friend, and that each one of us would have those kind of friends in our life. Speaking of which, let me ask you a real question. You don't have to answer it out loud. But do you have those kind of friendships in your life today? Do you have friendships? that make you feel a sense of belonging, that are encouraging and honest and helpful and hopeful and real? If you do, then you know how powerful these sorts of relationships and this sort of community can be. And if you don't have those sorts of friendships in your life, today is your lucky day. Because by the, by the time you go to lunch, we are going to help you take some steps that will allow you to leave behind your loneliness and your isolation and allow you to have the exact same sort of community that Erin said she's found and that so many of us have found as well. Hey, this is the second to the last week of our series, This Is My Story. We're calling this teaching series, This Is My Story, because each week we show you one-to- person from our congregation. We give them three or four minutes to talk about their faith and how God is changing their life, how their faith is transforming them into a new and different, and in most cases, better sort of person. And we're taking these modern testimonies and we're combining them with some ancient testimonies, some ancient verses that were written like almost 2,000 years ago in the New Testament. And what we're hoping is, as you combine these modern stories and these ancient testimonies, as you combine these two things together, you would have a better understanding or a better answer to the question, why would anybody be a Christian in 2019? Like seriously, given everything we know about the world and everything we know about science and everything we know about culture and relationships and psychology and everything like that, why would anybody choose to be a Christian in 2019? My hope is, that by the time we get through the end of this series, you will have a more solid answer to that. Now, for some of you guys, that's kind of a general abstract question. You're like, well, I'm here. I might as well listen to you talk about it, but it's not intensely personal. For some of you though, it is really, really practical question. And it's very personal because you have a friend or a family member And you've noticed over the last few months that they've been changing. And you're wondering, what is going on with them? They have never been religious in their life. And now they're going to church multiple times a month. And they were baptized? And you found out recently that they're giving money to the offering? And you're like, you've joined a cult. There's no doubt about it. I am certain that you've gone off the deep end here. And it's not that you're mad. You're not mad at them. You're not upset because they've chosen, you know, to follow Jesus or anything like that. But you are a bit confused. You're trying to figure out like, what has changed? Why have you changed? Or more generally, why would anybody want to follow Jesus in the 21st century? Let me read you a verse that might give you a better answer, help you to understand why people in general have followed Jesus, or why your friend or family member has made some of the decisions that they have. In fact, I'm only gonna read you one verse this entire morning. Um, 1 Peter chapter number 1, in verse 22, Peter kind of addresses why people follow Jesus. And he talks about it from a first century context, but it applies in the 21st century as well. Look at what Peter says. He says, you were cleansed from your sins when you responded to the truth of Jesus. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. You should love each other deeply and with all your heart. I've told you guys before, and maybe if we've, this is the first time we've ever kind of met, you don't know this about me, but I was not raised in church. Uh, my family didn't go to church growing up. I didn't come on Sundays. Like Legitimately, I went to one service between the time I was born and 17 years old, and I slept through the whole thing. I hated every second of it, you guys. And before I became a Christian, I used to wonder... Why would anybody choose that? It just doesn't make sense. Like, why would anybody choose religion, choose rules, choose something that is so clearly bogus? I just can't even imagine. And so before I became a Christian, I had a few ideas. I had a few conceptions about church and Christianity and and the faith. And I wonder if some of you guys can't relate to at least a little bit. Before I became a Christian, I assumed the reason that the church still exists in 2019 is because the church had gotten really good at control and coercion. I assumed the church, the reason anybody became a Christian was because the church had perfected the guilt trip. The church had learned how to use fear tactics. You're going to hell. The church had figured out how to manipulate soft-minded people, no disrespect, but this is what I believed the church had figured out how to control or coerce people into believing. And it used to really get under my skin because it's like, I knew a bit of church history, even though I wasn't a Christian. And it seemed like Christians, they didn't even realize that at times past, the church, in order to get its way in the world, has even resorted to political power and military violence in order to grow, in order to expand, in order to accomplish its mission. I mean, hello, has anybody heard of the Crusades? This was not our finest hour, you guys. And so I used to be so frustrated because in my mind, the only reason that anybody would ever become a Christian, the only reason that church even existed in the 21st century is because they had mastered the arts of coercion and control. Now, I know you guys have never had those thoughts. You've never had those suspicions. I get it. That was just me. But can I tell you on the backside of my decision to follow Jesus, now that I've been a follower of Christ for 20 years and I see things from a different perspective from the inside instead of the outside looking in, I could not have been more wrong. In my assumptions about why the church continues to exist or why people would choose to be a Christian in the first place. Yes, the church has had some very bad years. There have been seasons throughout the millennia in which the the church of Jesus Christ has not acted very Christ-like. I get that. But can I tell you, we don't continue to grow. People don't choose to become Christians because the church coerces or controls them. That's not at all what's going on. People do not become Christians because of coercion or control. They become Christians because they discover caring community. When you get right down to it, the reason that people choose to follow Jesus is because they find a group of people who genuinely love one another. And it's so mind-boggling, it's so nuts, it's so unexpected that people can't help but be drawn in by that. My friends, if you've got a, a, maybe one of your girlfriends is becoming a Christian or she's become a Christian, and again, you're skeptical and you're trying to figure out what's going on. She hasn't chosen faith because we have brainwashed her. That's not what happened. I'm not that smart and she's not that gullible, okay? She found a community of people that actually love each other. If your son or your brother has suddenly started going to church and you're like, man, what is going on? It's not because I sent like some holy Christian knights riding up to their front door, you know, in chainmail, and they're like, convert or die. That's not at all what happened. They found a loving group of people who not only accepted them where they are, but also helped them to move to where God wanted them to be. Listen, people become Christians because of the caring community, because of love, not because the church has somehow figured out how to uh, control or manipulate people. And it's always been this way. From the very beginning, from day one, the church has grown. People have converted to the faith for the reason of love. Let me show you some examples here. I'm gonna read you a couple of quotes from some people who lived way a long time ago, like second, third, fourth century. And they talk about the impact of Christianity and they talk about what's going on. So we'll start with a guy named Eusebius. Eusebius was a church historian. So he lived in the 300s and he basically decided he was going to write down a bunch of, or rather he lived in the 200s. He's gonna write down a bunch of the um, a bunch of the, the facts about the church and what the church has done and its spread and its influence and all those different things. And so what's really interesting is around this time that he was writing, there was a plague that hit the Roman empire. People were dying left and right. I don't know if it was cholera or if it was a bubonic plague or something, but it was terrible. And people were just falling out all over the place. And because back in these days, they didn't have any sense of um, you know, um, communicable diseases or standards when it comes to healthcare and things like that, people were scared to be around anybody who was sick. And so the, the going practice of the day was if somebody in your family got sick, for the sake and health of everybody else in your home, you had to put them out. And so they would kick out moms and kids and quite literally, they would push them out the door and say, we hope you survive. And if you do, you can come home. But for as long as you're sick, we can't take the risk with the rest of the family. So as this plague hits the Roman Empire, there are thousands, tens of thousands of people that are homeless and there's no health care. There's no opportunity for them. They are completely abandoned by their culture. Eusebius says, the church decides to do something about it. He writes, The evidence of the Christian zeal and piety was made clear to all the pagans, all the people who were not Christians. For example, they alone in such a catastrophic state of affairs gave practical evidence of their love and philanthropy by works. All day, some of them would diligently persevere in performing the last rites for the dying and burying them for there were countless numbers and no one to look after them. These people would be kicked out of their home. They didn't have any health care. They would eventually die alone. And because people were so scared of catching the disease, they literally just let bodies pile in the streets. But our brothers and sisters in the first century said, that can't be. They don't believe like us, but these people are created in God's image in the same way that I am. They're our brothers and sisters, and we've got to do something. And so putting their own health at risk, Christians went into the heart of the plague so that they could give comfort to people who couldn't be saved. And so that they could bury people who would otherwise just rot without anybody to care for them. He wraps up. By saying that other Christians gathered together in a single assemblage, all those who were afflicted by famine throughout the whole city and would distribute bread to them all. In the middle of a famine, when nobody had enough to eat, including the Christians, Christians decided to share what little they had with people who didn't even believe what they believe. In fact, many of these people hated Christians and what they stood for. But because of the love of the church, They actually began to undo, to topple the most powerful empire in the entire world. And it wasn't because they had an army. It wasn't because they put on a good show on Sunday mornings. It was because they genuinely loved one another. And that's so powerful, it changed the world. Fast forward another hundred years and there's an emperor by the name of Julian. He's a Roman emperor. He is anti-Christian. He actually wants to reinstate the old Roman religion, right? Where they worship Mars and Juno and Jupiter and all these different guys, right? He wanted that to take over again. And so what he did is he wrote an essay in which he laid out all the reasons that Christianity was growing at such a rapid rate in the Roman empire and all the reasons that pagan temple worship was falling by the wayside. And so he says, guys, if we're going to outlast, outsmart, outwork the Christians so that people will follow our religion, we need to take a page out of their playbook. Look at what he says. He says, these godless Galileans, which was his name for the Christians, because Jesus was from the region of Israel called Galilee, these godless Galileans feed not only their own poor, but ours as well. He says, guys, let's just be real honest here for a sec. Our poor lack our care. We don't give a crud about them. We don't do anything to help them, and it's killing us. He says, this godlessness of the Christian church is mainly furthered by its philanthropy towards strangers and its careful attention to the burial of the dead. This anti-Christian Roman emperor said the reason the church keeps growing is because Christians keep loving. The most powerful force on earth is love motivated by Christ. It changed their world. It changed Aaron's world. It changed my world. And I'm telling you, it can change your world too. Because when you get right down to it, the heart of the Christian faith, the thing that makes us unique compared to every other belief system on the planet is that Christianity is defined by relationships and not rules. Christianity is not about do's and don'ts, thou shalt and thou shalt not. It's not about the Ten Commandments. When you get right down to it, if you could boil Christianity down to its essence, it comes down to spiritual and social relationships. It's our relationship with God and our relationship with the people around us. This is what it means to be a Christian. At its core, Christianity is relational. And if you are not in intentional spiritual relationships, I would be very cautious about saying, oh, yes, I'm a Christian. Because you can't be a Christian and have no spiritual, helpful, guiding, Improve, you know, empowering relationships in your life. Let me show you something that shocked me the first time I ever saw it. Maybe it'll blow your mind too. It'll bake your noodle. I don't even know where that phrase came from, but I said it earlier, so I'll say it again. Maybe this will break, bake your noodle here. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter number seven, Luke is kind of introducing Jesus here and he's talking about Jesus and how he came and why he came and what he was doing. And I want you to pay very close attention to what Luke said about Jesus. He said, the son of God came feasting and drinking. In fact, he was feasting and drinking so much that some people said he's a drunkard and a glutton and a friend even to sinners. Some of you right now are thinking, wow, I didn't know I had so much in common with Jesus because I love feasting and I love drinking and I've got some friends who are sinners. You're just like Christ. I would have expected Luke to say, the son of God came preaching and teaching. That's what you would expect him to say. And Jesus did that, certainly. I would expect Luke to say, the Son of God came performing miraculous signs and wonders so that people would know he was who he said he was. And certainly Jesus did that. But when Luke had the opportunity to describe what Jesus was like here on earth, he chose to talk about Jesus in terms of relationships having dinner, having a glass of wine, having friendships even with people who don't look or talk or believe like you do. I mean, Jesus himself shows us how important and transformative relationships are. This is the unique hallmark of our faith in comparison to every other approach to living. That is, we are about relationships and not rules. We have the opportunity to connect with God and to love and serve other people. And let's just be real for a sec. This is good news for us in 2019. This is so good to know that there is an opportunity for real, meaningful, life-giving relationships because we need them desperately. We live in a world that is more isolated and lonely than at any other point in human history. You realize that, don't you? It's ironic and it's sad, but it's true. We rank ourselves as lonelier today in 2019 than we have ever been in history. There was a group of psychologists that came out a couple years ago and they said that Canada is experiencing an epidemic of loneliness. You know what they said? They said, and we'll put this in terms of Calgary and Airdrie, your neighbors. They said one out of five of your neighbors, 20% of your neighbors say that they do not have someone in their life that they would consider a close personal friend. One out of five people in your office, one out of five people on your neighborhood block don't feel like they have, they have friends, sure, but they don't have real friends, close friends, meaningful friendships. They also found that one out of four, so 25% of us in this room right now regularly feel lonely or isolated. Oh, it's so unfortunate. And it doesn't have to be that way. You know, they did some studies and they found out that not only is loneliness and isolation being, you know, separate from other people, not only is that bad for your mental health, it is also bad for your physical health. They did some studies and they found out that people who have severe isolation or people who are chronically lonely, their health fares as badly as people who are obese that the same sorts or, or at least the same level of effects on our body happen when we are consistently lonely. We were not created to live life alone. We were not created to go week after week and month after month without being known or needed. You were designed to live in relationships. I was reminded of that this week actually because my wife went on vacation. And, um, I don't know if you're like me, but I get really excited when I get the house to myself. You know what I mean? Like my wife is like, you know, I'm going to Florida. I'm going to be gone for nine days. Are you going to miss me? And I'm like, Oh babe, you know, I'm going to miss you. And the whole time I'm like freedom. (laughs) I can watch what I want. I don't have to share the TV. I can eat whatever I want for dinner. Whenever I feel like eating, I can go to bed when I want, I can get up when I want. It is the best thing in the world for about four days. And after about four or five days, I'm like, man, I wish you were back already. Like, this is kind of lonely. This is kind of sad. I don't know that I've left the house in three days. Like, I need somebody in my life. I was talking to my dogs a lot more than I typically talk to my dogs. I was talking to the cat, which was bad news because we don't have a cat. I knew I was in trouble (laughs) when I was talking to this cat that didn't even exist. Thankfully, my wife comes back. She comes back tomorrow. Please don't tell her how much I missed her, okay? Um, But I did. Because I know and I experience it when I'm alone. I know deep down inside, this is not what I was created for. Something is supposed to be different. I am not supposed to be this isolated. Look, I mean, let's be real for a sec, you guys. We go to work alone. We drive alone. We work out alone. We watch TV alone. We shop alone. We eat alone. We pray alone. We cry alone and all the while we forget that on day one of this thing, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. We were designed for relationships. And the only way that you're ever going to experience life overflowing, life to the fullest sense imaginable as Jesus talked about it, is when you find yourself in these sorts of relationships. I'll put 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 back on the screen for you here. And I just wanna point out Peter talks about the power of this sort of biblical community, of these sorts of relationships. And he says, at its best, this is a deep, sincere family kind of love. You are my brothers and sisters. And I'll tell you straight up, there is nothing in the world that I would not do for my sister. I would do anything for her. And you are my sister. You are my brother. It's like God is calling me to love you as deeply and as sincerely as I love my own flesh and blood. Why? Because relationships can change everything. I told you that when God wanted to call Aaron's name, he sent her a best friend. I wanna point out that when Peter was talking to a group of people who were being persecuted, who were being literally arrested and tortured and executed because it was illegal to be a Christian in their day, when all of that was going on, Peter did not tell them that they should pray harder and he didn't tell them that they should protest louder against the government's injustices. And he didn't tell them you should behave better so that God will you know, show you some favor and things will go better. No, Peter said the answer to what you're facing in life is to love more. If you can love more, if you can have more love in your life, it will see you through the hardest times in the world. You've heard how, this biblical community of love, it plays out in 2019 in Aaron's life. I want to show you how it played out in the first century. This is the description of the church in its earliest days. Look at what the Bible says in Acts chapter number two. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship. And to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions, and they shared the money with those who were in need. They worshiped together each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. In the first century and in the 21st century, the thing that drives the church, the reason people choose Jesus, the reason that this thing continues on year after year after year after year is not because we control and coerce. It is because we We care for one another. If that's the sort of relationship you want in your life, if you're like, man, I I need that kind of friendship. I need those kind of people who will accept me for who I am and help me to become the person I know I should be. Let me just, I'm going to put this out there and I hope this doesn't step on your toes too hard. But in truth, if you hope to experience something better, you have to choose something better. If you want this sort of community and relationship, you've got to put yourself into this sort of community and relationship. It doesn't happen by accident. You're not gonna be walking through the lobby this morning and you're like, I like the way you look. You wanna be my new best friend? That's not how it works. You get to know people and you find out, nope, don't care for him too much, but this guy I really enjoy hanging out with. If you wanna experience something better, you're going to have to choose something better. So here's what I think you should do. This is just me, but I think it's important. I think you should choose to get plugged into a connect group. Today, following the service, just as soon as you walk out the door, you can't even get out of the building without passing by what we call group link. And group link is essentially this. Every single one of our group leaders is gonna be gathered in the lobby. They're there to answer questions about the small groups that they're leading. And there's an opportunity for you to sign up for one so that you can find some of these relationships that we've been talking about. Now, many of you have been in connect groups. Let me hear from those of you guys who have been a part of connect groups before. All right. Yes, indeed. And some of you have not. So if you've never been a part of a connect group, let me just quickly run through what these are. I'm not going to take a lot of time, but I want you to understand what the heck we mean when we talk about a connect group. A connect group is simply a gathering of usually eight or 12 or 15 people, sometimes more, sometimes less. And they get together on days other than Sunday. Like they like each other so much that they choose to hang out when they don't have to see each other. And they usually meet at, you know, Saturday or like Thursday evenings or Saturday mornings. They meet all throughout the week, usually in somebody's home. But, you know, some groups meet elsewhere uh, around the the city. They usually only meet for about 60 minutes, sometimes as much as 90 minutes, depending on the group. And they gather doing the things that they love. That's what I, I think is so great about our Connect Group setup, is that you get to choose what you're interested in. Go do that thing and meet awesome people in the process. So our groups fall on what we call a spectrum, the social spiritual spectrum. So some of our groups are just socially focused. If you need deeper friendships in your life, you're like, "Look, I just need to connect with some more people who are going to help me in my struggles right now." Then go join a social group. If you're looking for something more spiritual, you're like, "I want to take my faith seriously. I want to grow in my understanding of the Bible or my relationship with God." Then join a spiritual group. I think you will find something that you're interested in. We've got groups that are like powerlifting. So I'm in a small group this semester that's run by my friend, Scott Bateman. It's called Pray for Gains. And it is literally, like my hope is by the end of this semester, I have to cut the sleeves off of this jacket. And I believe Scott can take me there. I believe he can take me there. Maybe you're like, look, I, I don't wanna get jacked. Um, but I love playing tabletop games and I'd love to connect with some friends you know, over that. You can join that group. Or maybe you say, look, I really need to, I need to do something about my relationship with God. Maybe you join the alpha group. Or if you say my marriage is on the brink, I need some help. You join the five love languages group. I don't know. There are literally groups that cover everything. And the cool thing is we have groups that are meeting everywhere from Cochrane to Carstairs to Calgary. Like wherever you are, we've got something for you. I know there are a couple of objections that are popping into your mind already. I get that. I had the same ones the first time somebody invited me into a group. I know you're saying, look, Dan, I've tried this before. I went to a small group at my old church. And to be honest with you, it was not a success. I did not enjoy it. I didn't get a lot out of it. You could actually say, Dan, I've been to one of your connect groups before and it just didn't do it for me. I just, It just wasn't a fit. And that happens sometimes. But can I say, you probably didn't find a success the first time you ever went on a date, did you? Like when you were 16 and you went on your first date, you didn't discover your soulmate and marry that person. And that didn't cause you to give up on dating. You kept trying until you found one that was worth staying with. It's the same thing with connect groups. You might get into a group and you're like, yes, this isn't for me. I'm not feeling it. I'm not jiving with this group. That's okay. Don't give up. Keep seeking out this community because eventually you will find friendships that will change your life. The other objection you probably have is, Dan, I love what you're saying. I totally get it. I'm with you for the most part, but I don't have time. I do not have time for this. My schedule is already too busy. I don't have any room for more relationships or more activities on my calendar. And boy, do I understand that I'm busy too. But I'm not saying that you simply need more relationships in your life. I'm saying you need more of the right kind of relationships in your life. And I'm not saying that you need to add more things to your calendar. I'm saying you need to add more of the right kind of things to your calendar. You don't have room for relationships that aren't gonna help you get to where you wanna be. And you don't have time in your schedule to do things that are not going to help shape you into the person that God wants you to be. There's no time for that, but there is time for this biblical community, for the opportunity to have relationships that will transform your life. So here's what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna put on the screen, we're not gonna read all of these. We have 21 small groups that are meeting this semester. They're all there on the screen. I want you to kind of read through it, tells you what it is, who leads it, what time they meet and where they meet. And what I want is for you to just start eyeballing some of these and you're like, ooh, that sounds interesting. Or, ooh, I might have more questions about that. I'm not gonna join a group, but if I were gonna join a group, it might be that one. My hope is that when you, actually, no, forget that. This is not my hope. This is my challenge. This is your homework. When you walk out the door, go talk to a group leader, ask them about their group, and then there'll be a sheet of paper there. And my challenge is for every single one of you, to put your name down to receive more information about a group. That's all you're doing. It's not like you're committing to be there every week or anything at this point. You're just saying, hey, when your group gets started, will you email me and let me know? And uh, I'll think about coming. Every single one of you should do that because God wants to transform your life through the friendships that you're going to discover in these groups. (laughs)